The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Today's gospel is from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word for today. Could you be mine? So let's make the most of this beautiful day. As long as we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? I'm going to invite our little munchkins up. So if we've got any kids in here who want to come up, I know I see the Collinger family. If you all want to come, and any other kids, if big kids want to come, they can too. But... I've got a couple questions for you guys. No? All right, is it just going to be me and Isaiah? That's okay. <laughs> oh, there we go. The rest of them are coming. All right, so I have a question. How many of you guys have neighbors? I've got neighbors. Let's look out in the crowd. How many people out there have neighbors? Oh, my gosh, there are so many neighbors, right? What we're going to be talking about is when Jesus said that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And one of the ways he did that, and this is actually from Scripture. How many of you guys live in houses? Who lives in a house? I live in a house? Yes, right? Well, back in the old days, they lived in tents. And what the Bible says is Jesus came and he pitched his tent. He literally set up his tent in our neighborhood. And so how many of you guys do your parents ever ask what you learned at church? Has your dad or your mom ever asked what you learned in church? This week, in fact, all of November, I want you to flip that question. I want when you guys get in the car to say, Mom, Dad, what did you learn in church today? So you get to flip the question this week because this whole month we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be good neighbors and why Jesus said to love our neighbors as ourselves. To do that, though, we're going to actually pray for our parents. So we're going to do a repeater prayer. Will you guys repeat with me? All right, so we're going to clap and then we're going to keep our hands together. 
One, two, three, clap. Good job. All right, repeat after me. Dear God, teach us to be good neighbors and teach our parents to be good neighbors. Amen. Beautiful. All right, you guys can go back to your families. So this series uh, came off of a documentary. Now, I don't know about how many of you who are married keep movies in your back pocket that you can use for date nights, but I do, right? So typically, the movies that I like have to do with explosions or comedy or superheroes. And my wife, she likes those things, at least because she loves me, but she has a broader palette. And so there are occasions where I'll see a movie that I wouldn't watch by myself, but I'm like, you know what, I'll watch this on a date night. And so I'll keep those in my back pocket to be romantic, right? Well, there was a documentary on Mr. Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it had gotten some really good reviews last year. And I thought, you know what, this will be a good date night movie. And so I'm thinking, I'm throwing my wife a bone at this point. I'm like, oh, we're going to watch this and I'm going to get some points. Well, by the time we were done with this movie, I am literally just bawling, right? I am weeping after hearing the story of Mr. Rogers. Because what I didn't know about him was why he did Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Do you know that Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian pastor? He went to seminary just like I did. And he was going to be a pastor just like I am. But they saw a gift in him. He had a background in television. And so they ordained him to be a televangelist. Now think about Mr. Rogers. That is not what you typically think, right? We think about the general televangelist, right? Give me money and God will love you more. That was not Mr. Rogers. No, what he saw his ministry as being was two things. One, to help children learn how to process emotions in a healthy way because he thought that God wanted children to process emotions in a healthy way. And he wanted to teach children to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why he started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so it was truly the gospel, the good news of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done in his life, that he built this show. And in understanding that, I couldn't think of any better way as we go through November talking about what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves than to say, no, let's, let's, let's lean into that a little bit. And truly, this is straight from Jesus. When people would come and they would ask him, hey, what's the most important thing? What's the most important commandment? What rule should we be following? What's this look like? What does he say? One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he said, well, teacher, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Well, the most important one, Jesus answered, is to hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there is no commandment greater than these. And I love how there's no plural here, right? They're the same thing. To love God and to love our neighbor is the same coin. Other parts of Scripture says that the entire law, all the rules of the Old Testament, all the things that we were supposed to do, they all hung on loving God with everything we had and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And as Christianity, our track record on this is a bit hit and miss because there are times where we have been so good throughout history about loving our neighbor. I remember I was on my internship 
And I was at this older congregation, over 120 years old, and Ida Dirksen was taking me around town. And Ida Dirksen was 85 years old, and she was just Jesus personified. She loved everyone. She smiled at everyone. And there was this massive playground. And she said, you know, our church helped build this playground. In fact, not just our church, but all the churches in the community in the 50s came together for a summer, and we did an eight-hour project every single week until we had this play structure built because we wanted to be good neighbors. And it was beautiful to see, yeah, that's what Jesus does. But at the same time, in fact, members of our own congregation, one of their fathers would hire African-Americans back in the 50s, and their house would regularly be vandalized by people who said they were following Jesus because you shouldn't hire those people. As Christianity, we don't know how to always be good neighbors because, quite frankly, we don't always know how to be good humans. Originally, God designed us to be good, and we had these perfect relationships with God and each other in our world, and then sin comes into the picture, and it starts tearing down those relationships. And we stopped knowing how to be human. We stopped knowing how to be neighbors. And so Jesus comes after a season where God had said, okay, I'll tell you what to do, right? I'll protect you, and then I'm just going to give you commands. He says, no, we're going to do it differently this time. I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show up. And that's what our gospel reading is about today. John 1 is all about why God showed up, why Jesus comes. And it starts off in John 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This word, word, in Greek is lagos. And lagos meant the divine. It meant truth. It's more than just the Word. It had a very specific definition, context in the Greek literature. My translation of this was, in the beginning was the divine, and the divine was with God, and the divine was God. He was with God in the beginning. Let me flush this out. So Plato, most of you guys know who Plato is, the philosopher. He had come up with a philosophy that the lagos, the divine, was the perfect. And it was something external to the physical world. And so he said, you can look at a flower, and that flower might be beautiful, but guess what? That flower will eventually die. This body that you have, you could have a perfect man or a perfect woman, but eventually they'll get old. Eventually disease will set in. And so we said the physical world is the problem. There is such thing as beauty. There is such thing as love. There is such thing as goodness, but it's not in this physical world. This physical world is a pale shadow of what is good. And what he defined the ultimate good as was the lagos, was the divine. So that was the mindset of the ancient Greeks. This idea that, yes, there was good, this lagos, this divine, but it was separate from the world, right? So John starts off and he says, no, the divine's with God and the divine was God. And anyone reading that at that time would be like, yep, this is all making sense. But as John flushes out what God is going to do, and how God is going to move and how this divine is going to act, all of a sudden it becomes something very different than how the Greeks and the Romans thought. He continues on and he says, Through him, through this divine, all things were made that have been made. And without him, nothing has been made 
uh, that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says this divine thing, this Jesus thing, was the source of light and life of all mankind. He says anything good that you have ever experienced in another human is a reflection of Jesus. Any time that someone has made you laugh when you were having a rough go of it, anytime someone has wrapped their arms around you when you were weeping or crying and you felt loved and heard, that's a reflection of Jesus. Any text message you got that made you smile, any time when you were not alone, any time humanity has done something that it was supposed to, it says that Jesus was the light and the life of all of that goodness. That's why everywhere he went, things got better. It was like he was this bundle, this lantern that walked around a darkened world, a broken world, and everywhere he go, that light just shined everywhere. Everywhere he went, that healing just shined everywhere. You see, God no longer was going to talk to us from an external source. God was going to come into the story. And that's who Jesus is in this story. John goes on and he starts talking about John the Baptist. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not the author, but there's a different one. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. You see, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, because the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A little bit of historical background here. John the Baptist was a really big deal in ancient times. He made quite the scene. In fact, historically, if you were to read Roman historians, they mentioned Jesus a little bit, but they mentioned John the Baptist a lot because he made such a voice, such a presence about something's going to change that even Roman historians knew who he was. And so John says, hey, John the Baptist came for a purpose. He was calling out in the desert to let you know that the light and source of everything good had entered the story. He was a spotlight. He was a sign saying, look at this guy here, because he's going to change everything. Story goes on. It says, he now, talking about the Lagos, talking about the divine, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In fact, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yesterday, Erica and I were at the Celtic uh, Austin Fest, and we went down, there was music, and there was good food, and there were donkeys and all kinds of fun stuff, but one of the coolest aspects of it was they had these trade shows where these craftsmen who actually worked and made the leather, right? This isn't something you order on Amazon, but like you could literally talk to the guy, I bought a wallet uh, that's got Thor's hammer on it, which is awesome, right? But he actually made this with his own hands. He was this expert craftsman, and there were blacksmiths there who were making stuff, right? It was just beautiful, and you just walk around these tents and these showrooms, and you're like, wow, you guys have talent. What this verse is saying is essentially that God is the craftsman of the world. He built us. But he walked into his studio. And every piece that he had made in his studio didn't recognize him. They didn't realize, oh, you built me. You designed me. And not only that, but eventually they reject him. The whole studio gets up in arms and we're like, no, we don't want any part of you. So much so that we're willing to kill him. 
That's the length that we will go to reject our maker. And that's our human pride, our human condition, this broken body, this broken life we live in. Left to our own devices, that's where we get left. Sacrificing the guy who made us because we don't see him, we don't recognize him. Thankfully, though, that's not where John ends. No, he says, but for those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent or of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is one of the foundational verses for my faith. Because what this says is that it's not about us reaching up to heaven. It says that we're not born because we're in the right family, natural descent, It's not, well, my dad was a Christian, so I get to be a Christian. It's not, well, my great-great-great-grandfather was an Israelite, so I get to be a Christian. That's not how it works. But it also says we're also born not of a human decision, which for me gives me a lot of peace because you know what? My decision track record isn't that great, right? And at 11 o'clock service on a Sunday, yeah, I might choose God. But you get me out on the road and someone cuts me off, I'm not necessarily choosing God in that moment. My faith starts to get tested, Challenges start to set in, and it can be, you know what, do do I really believe in this? But the cool thing about being born is you don't choose what family you're born into. You aren't born, come out and say, oh, that's a fine-looking couple. I want to live with them. That's not how being a child works. That's not how being born works. No, being born is an external thing that we receive and we come into a family. That is what we have in God. We have an external force that has come in and said, I love you and I redeem you and I want you to be a part of my family. That's where we build our faith. That's where we are sent from. This God who comes in and says, I love you so much that I will go to rather extreme lengths to get you adopted, to get you clean, to get you restored, to help you be human again to bring us back to Genesis 1. He talks about this and later in John. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit will give birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. He says, guys, I have a new humanity for you. A humanity that isn't stained with the brokenness of the one you currently are existing in. I have something better for you. I want to teach you how to be human. Because that's a real problem with not being good neighbors, is we don't know how to be good humans. We've been infected with sin, we've been infected with selfishness and pride and arrogance. And it stops us from actually knowing the next right thing to do. And so he comes in and he says, no, I'm going to recreate you. I'm going to renovate you. And then I'm going to send you out to love your neighbor as yourself and to love me with everything you have. The story goes on, and it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I talked about this with the kids. The message says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. My translation, The divine became human. He pitched his tent among the people who had forgotten what they were designed to be, who had forgotten what it meant to be human. You see, God's solution was no longer to be an external player in the story. He would show up. He'd put on flesh and blood. 
And he would live out, this is what humanity is supposed to look like. He would model it day in, day out. He would love his neighbor as himself. He would heal. He would feed. He would preach God's good news that God loved you and he fought for you. And you didn't have to work for him because he had already worked for you. But because of that, because of that love, then he would send us out to be agents of love and reconciliation. And remember how I talked about that Greek thinking? About how the logos, the divine, was something that couldn't interact with the physical world? This kicks that in its teeth. Because the word became flesh. He became physical and he was still divine. And so he says, this physical world that you live in, you don't have to keep waiting for some future time where, okay, God, in the future, you're gonna, then I can be with you. In the future, I can be good. In the future, I can love the right way. He says, no, no, no. The word became flesh. He showed up and he said, nope, here and now, God has an opportunity for you to love. Here and now, God has an opportunity for you to be loved and to be accepted and then to accept and to love others. And what does that look like? He goes on and he says, So we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In fact, out of his fullness, we are all given grace in place of grace. We have already been given. Most translations say grace upon grace. It's like he's just pouring out his favor on his people. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Christ. See, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is God himself, who is with God himself and is in closest relationship to the Father has made him known. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. He says, I'm going to show up. I'm going to move into the neighborhood. And I'm going to teach you how to be human. I'm going to teach you what you've forgotten. I'm going to teach you what used to be natural to you, but once sin came in, all of a sudden what was natural becomes unnatural. No, 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 we're going to just wipe the slate clean. I will die for you. I will forgive you. I will redeem you. But then I am going to empower you to love your neighbor as yourself. I am going to empower you to be a new type of human. A human that is full of grace and truth, of God's divine favor, both for you, but also for your neighbor. So every person you come in contact with, a coworker, a fellow student, your next door neighbor, says, I want you to model the same way that I did 2,000 years ago. He says, now I'm going to empower you to do the same thing. Because I love you. Because I want you to be born into God's family. And being born into God's family comes with all the privileges and responsibilities that any family has. I'm going to invite Tanner and Ant up. We're going to go into a time of worship. But first, we're going to encounter God through his sacrifice. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, right? So on the night when we did not receive him, his closest followers, the people who had walked with him and talked with him, had seen him do all the miracles. That night, when we're like, nope, I'm out. He says, take and eat. This is my body, which I will break for you. Same way after the supper, he took the cup, and we had given thanks to take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, to be washed clean, 
but a new covenant, a new promise that God is making with you, that you can be born again, that you are no longer apart from the family, but you are born of God and a part of the family of God. You have communion with him, community union, but communion with each other as well. And then you are empowered to love. I'm going to go into a time of prayer. We're going to ask for forgiveness. That's a rhythm that we do here at church where we admit, you know what, I'm still a work in progress. But then we receive forgiveness. We're empowered to leave differently. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You are a God who showed up. When your workshop was in full-on revolt, when we were breaking each other and just doing the bull in the china shop, you came and you restored and you loved. And even when we rejected you, even when we act out of our selfishness, whether it's with our family members or our workplace or our school, Lord, you forgive us. And so we come before you now asking for forgiveness for the brokenness of this week, for the sin of this week. But Lord, we're bold to ask because you said that we are part of your family. And grace upon grace, divine favor upon divine favor continues to reign on us. And so we thank you for being a God who continually redeems and restores and empowers. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.